BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Well, guys, we're only a couple of days removed from UFC 276. And coming up on today's show, I want to talk about the fallout. I want to talk about Hazmat Chemayev calling out Alex Piera, Alex Volkanovsky's lightweight dreams, and a whole lot more beginning with this. Let's rethink Piera and Adesanya. Okay, let's re- let's retake a look at this. And guys, I put out a, a poll question on YouTube, and fifty thousand of you responded to it. And it was just who was more impressive over the weekend. Here, here's how we're going to look at it: Piera stopping Strickland in the first round, Adesanya beating Cannoneer for all five rounds. Both are really really incredible. What's more impressive? Now let's back up to Piera. Piera did not do much on Saturday. He truly did not to change the way that we look at him. He added excitement. He added to it and he reinforced. But we knew going in, he's a very good striker. He proved he's a very good striker, right? Like we didn't see anything new. He didn't have to deal with adversity. We didn't get late. We didn't get a conditioning checked. We didn't get, how do you do it? Stop at the takedowns. We didn't get, how do you scramble up off the bottom? How do you fight off the fence? Like, there were so many things that he didn't have the ability to change perception. But boy, did he win us over as the guy who should be fighting Adesanya. Hold the thought. I had a very interesting talk earlier. And it was with a friend of mine who also happens to be a doctor. Happens to be a smart guy who can study things. Used to be a manager. Used to be an agent. Used to be a trainer within our sport. He had a very different assessment of Izzy's walkout, okay? Starting with the walkout, which does start everything, and a guy's approach does matter. If he comes in there cold, performance is going to affect him. If he comes in there warm, if he comes in there just right, if he comes in there fired up, if he comes in there scared, if he comes in there timid, like these are real things. How that fight starts is a very real indicator for what's going to happen later in the evening. I loved Izzy's walkout. I looked at it purely from an entertainment standpoint. I thought it was fun. It was unexpected. The Undertaker just retired. Like, there's a lot of things that made that work, and he nailed it. He had the help of the UFC, who knew that was coming, who stunned the Undertaker's walk, who made it look like that, who added the smoke machines. I just thought it worked. I loved it. My friend's take was, wait a minute, Chael, here's what you're missing. It was slow. Go on. Yes, it's slow. The Undertaker walks out there slow. He goes, no, 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 no. 
The whole walkout and the whole approach was very slow on purpose. Izzy knew and had to program himself that it's going to be slow. It's going to be methodical. That carried over to the fight. If you juxtapose that with Izzy's walkout in Australia versus Whitaker the first time, remember when he danced to the ring? I think there was even like a flip component in there. I mean, he was popping away. It couldn't have been a faster. It couldn't have been a, a more higher energy. That fight, kick, bah, 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 right? That fight kicks off. The performance matched the walkout. Do they have anything to do? Have we completely overthought that? Maybe, but maybe not. My friend could be onto something here. Because I will concede to you that the approach does matter. I never looked at it like this. And I don't know how much I'm looking at Izzy's fight and willing to concede that it was slow. I feel that there was opportunities there and Izzy took them. And when he wasn't taking them, he was attempting to set them up. Did that drag that on? Sure. Sure it did. But is any of that wrong, bad, or anti the strategy that Izzy went in there with? What was Izzy seeing? What was he not seeing? What was Jared doing, right? I mean, these are things that you would only have from the eyes of Adesanya, who knows his own skills. He knows his own ability. He knows his own range. Did Jared just have a really good plan for starting to nullify some of that? Was Jared's position in footwork and his reaction, right? It's one of those things where we'd only know from Adesanya. Okay. I want you to keep that in mind, and I'll tell you why. We don't know what to expect coming into this fight, but we are going to make a lot from what we have in their kickboxing fights. We're going to look a lot more than if guys had competed in other things. And we've seen that. Guys that ran into each other in Abu Dhabi, guys who ran each other in the amateurs back in the NCAA. It's different here because the rules are not. They are not a whole new sport. You have two kickboxers who have never gone for, not just never gotten a takedown, they have never attempted. They have never looked for one. So we as the audience have very good reason to believe they're going to go out and kickbox. They're going to do it in the time constraints of the unified rules with this five-minute round business. They're going to do it in four-ounce gloves. They're going to do it in an octagon instead of a ring. What else can we reasonably believe is going to be different? This has never been done. So now you start to ask yourself, how are you going to get a different result? Just because we call it MMA, right? If they kickboxed and Piera won, and then they redid it and Piera won, aren't they redoing it again? We're calling it something different, but aren't they doing the same thing? So we're going to ask ourselves, what is the approach? What is the motivation? Now, Adesanya is telling us, he looks at this directly insulted by Piera. Piera got the best of him over there and stopped him from getting his dreams. This is Izzy. Izzy has come up and being case. Says, now he's coming over here and he's trying to do it here. He saw what I'm doing. He saw the attention and the success I'm having. He literally came here to stop me again. And Izzy's offended by that. He's driven by that and he's not going to let it happen is what he's telling us. What would any other human being do? What would you do? I mean, would you be able to set aside what happened in your past? Would you be able to set aside those experiences and those memories as badly as you want to, as much as you want to erase that, as much as you are willing, and Izzy is, to take the risk to walk out there just to have the opportunity to right what you view as a wrong? But can you actually do it? 
And I'm not talking about the physical. I'm not talking about what's going to happen when those boys fight. I'm talking about the approach when they walk in. If we think that we have discovered something through the walkout that was done Saturday versus the dance that was done in Australia, if we think that we have discovered something about Izzy, then what are you going to make of and how are you going to surmise his approach to this fight? Is he a different human being that can block out the past? Is he the same guy that all the rest of us would be? We're going to have to make something of that. Is Piera all of a sudden full of motivation and lacking pressure, right? It's an interesting spot for Piera. The fact that Piera has the wins over Izzy and the fact that the odds makers today, I realize we haven't had a lot of time, but they're favoring Izzy. Had they favored Piera, we'd have this whole dialogue about the pressure and Piera came over and he's the one that's got something to lose. That's not the case. So to, to try to guess what the approach would be, I mean, based on what we've seen, it's perfect for Izzy. Everything's great. Everything's as advertised. He could not be more willing. He could not have jumped on this any faster. Anyone else that was in a tough spot, like the one that I'm suggesting may exist, would have not agreed to that fight, would have given something to protect their ego while not committing themselves. Anybody else in Izzy's spot that was on the mic with Joe Rogan would talk about, well, let's see. Let's see where things go. I don't know how much credit you should get for later to one, two, come. We'll we'll go back and we'll talk and we'll sit down and we'll see what's best. I mean, you've had all these games. There was no games. He got in front of it. It does matter. Izzy's approach, man, sure it does. And so does Piera's. And all we can do is guess. This has never happened. Two guys, different walk of life, met up. They met up. We've gotten close. Joanna and Shevchenko had boxed, kickboxed, as a matter of fact. So we got close, but not this. Not exactly this. Oh, and by the way, the person that had the success is not the favorite. They are the underdog. They are not expected to have it again. Is that a confidence builder for one? Is that a pressure reducer for the other? Right? We don't know. These are all questions. This is the most fascinating, unexpected match of 2022. So staying on the subject of Alex Piera, another UFC star came out this weekend and said that he wants a piece of the middleweight's most exciting contender. Let's talk about that. Chamayev. Chamayev came in over the weekend and has called out Piera. Have you guys seen that? Now, Piera versus Adesanya is my number one fight right now. My number one fight for a period of time has been Jones versus Stipe. This one beat it, and I want to reserve the right to go back and forth on that because, yes, we're all still drunk on the excitement. And I realize that this is fresh. But that's my number one fight. I wouldn't have told you that a week ago. If you asked me my top three, I wouldn't have said that. That is suddenly extremely interesting and fascinating. It's like, Dana, please don't make us wait. Get this done right away. At least get us the info. Like, I need something on this. I am starved for this. I am fascinated by this. DraftKings came out. By the way, these guys are even money. Now, even money is the way that I speak. But in this case, Adesanya is a slight favorite at like negative 165 versus, you know, plus 140. This is even money. 
And that's going to change. I'm telling you right now, Adesanya, who is the favorite ever so slight, will not be every single moment of this process. Piero will pass him at some point, even if it's for a couple of hours. This, it's even money. And it should be even money. And none of us know. I need you to absorb that. Because Chemayev trying to stick his nose in this is about something else. It was a very telling moment. Okay, Chemayev calling out Piera is not Chemayev wanting to come and show off or steal thunder or break up a fight or move to 185. That's not what this is. Chemayev wanted a match that would give him clarity. We have no clarity on Chemayev. I mean us, the audience. We now know that Chemayev doesn't either. We now know that Chemayev has not had a sit-down or a, a, a phone call where some kind of a plan has been laid out for him. That has not happened. The same uncertainty and unclarity that we have for Chemayev, so does he. If he could get the match with Piera, that would solidify him at a weight class, even if it's not ideal, he does not care. It's now a weight class that solidifies him in a number one contender's match. He now has clarity. Beat the number one contender, fight the champion, we all understand that. Beat the champion, go out and defend your belt, we all understand that. And it was so telling that Chemayev does not have that. And I will tell you guys, like at 170 pounds, it's still very much, what are we doing with Chemayev? When he came in and got that win over Gilbert Burns, oh my gosh, what an amazing, and where are we going to go from here? And Ali and Kamara Usman were even talking about, we, we see it. We see a skill, but we also see potential. The guy hasn't peaked. The sooner we deal with him, the better to deal with him. Like, that's really helpful. That's really just objective. That's not fight talk. That's not trash talk. That's just some real objective speak from manager and champion. It all died down. And then we're hearing rumors of Chemayev. He's going to go off and he's going to do the ABC show. You guys remember that? He's going to be with Colby Covington. Now, now, well, now we got it. Now we do have clarity. Whether it's been stated or not, we get that's a number one contenders match, at least for Chemayev. Beat Colby, fight for the belt. We don't need anybody to tell us. We got it. But so with Chemayev. Now he's got some marching orders. Now he's got some direction. When that didn't happen, think, okay, how close to that can we preserve? We're going to need a new opponent. Looks like Blahal Mohammed. This was our guest, guys. I, I realize that I'm, I'm, I'm going back in a month, but this was our guest. And we also expected that it will still be the same stakes for Chemayev, which would be a number one contenders match. But then we get confronted with, it's going to be Chemayev versus Nate Diaz. Well, that's a huge fight. But now I stop. What's on that fight? That's a huge fight. I stop. I don't start talking about rankings and contenderships and where this is going to go. We don't know. It's not as clear. But when that came in, it also was evidence to us that the plan and the blueprint and this one-away business is not set for Chemayev. So what is? And now we haven't heard Chemayev's name for just a minute, which has also been a surprise. Because if there's any match that is glaringly obvious to make, it's Blahal Muhammad versus Chemayev, but it hasn't been made. And to make that, at least for headlines and attention in media, it was a little bit hotter. A few weeks ago, these guys were all over the headlines. They're trading place for who's getting the most... Attention now, put them together, boom, you keep going, right? It's one of it's one, one of those things where the only point I'm attempting to prove is that not only do we not know what's next for Chemayev, neither does he. He has not been contacted. This has not been laid out. A lot of times when guys go quiet, 
That's your big clue. It's done. Guys are barking for fights, right? In this case, it was Blahal and Shemaev are barking for fights. And all of a sudden, they both go quiet the same day. That's a big clue for us. All right, there's nothing to bark about. They've already got it. The agreement has been made. But we now know that didn't happen. Or Chemayev would not need to leave the weight class, take on Piera, change course to championship path at middleweight. I think that's fascinating. I am not hinting for you at all that Chemayev could get that, but the mere fact that Chemayev is interested in that puts Pierre in a tough spot. Pierre is the number one contender. He's got business to deal with. He's got business to deal with Otto Simon. Now he's got this other guy calling him out. Also happens to be undefeated. I mean, right? You, you, got, you got to throw it around at some point or you got to ignore him completely, but we're all going to pick up on that. Pierre could be completely fine if it gets stated and it gets signed and it gets done. What is Jemaya going to do next? You have a guy who's barking, who's not afraid to bite the second he's called on it, and now he's talking about middleweight. Where I've always thought he should be anyway, not for nothing. I think he's more needed at middleweight. I think he's more helpful at middleweight. 170's covered. Go look at that division. You got you got nothing. Nothing but iron on top of iron down there. So I, I'm just I'm just making my case. If I came at you today and I came to you with empty hands and just, you know what, I think Chemayev should be a middleweight. Chael, what is that predicated on? Well, I'm telling you what it's predicated on. There isn't another plan for him right now. And he has now revealed that to us. He wants to be champion. Oh, by the way, he wants it as soon as possible. He's the same guy. Willing to do the same thing. And now we know that the guess of what's going to happen for Chemayev is still fair game. It is very clearly not yet decided. Guys, the folks at BioOptimizers have done it again. They just released their new and improved formula for magnesium breakthrough, the most powerful magnesium supplement on the market today. Do you suffer from poor sleep? How about low energy? You ever get high stress? Magnesium deficiencies might be the root of your issues. Magnesium Breakthrough's new formula is now even more potent and effective for reducing stress, improving sleep, and boosting energy levels. Every bottle of Magnesium Breakthrough contains seven unique forms of organic, full-spectrum magnesium, plus cofactors like B6 and manganese that will help you with absorption of magnesium resulting in longer and deeper sleep, reduced stress levels, and a more calm self, and an abundance of all-day energy to win at life. And because it supports mental wellness, Magnesium Breakthrough can help you to finally feel like yourself again. Simply take two capsules before you go to bed and you will be amazed by the improvements in your mood and energy levels and how much more rested you feel when you wake up. For an exclusive offer, for my listeners only, go to magbreakthrough.com slash chael. Use the promo code chael during checkout. That's going to save you 10% and get free shipping. Again, that special link is magbreakthrough.com slash chael. And use the promo code CHAIL at checkout for 10% off and free shipping. Josh Emmett. Josh Emmett. Interesting week, right? I mean, he's the star, and then he gets to go on International Fight Week, and that's fun. 
It's really fun to go to a fight that's really big when you have no pressure. As a matter of fact, not only do you not have pressure, you're still in the glow of people coming up and telling you, good job for your last performance. You have the opposite of pressure. You have this relief period. Oh, and you're going to go and take in the action. It's fun. Okay. So Emmett's in the middle of this. Well, Emmett comes out. He does an interview. I can't remember the last time that Emmett went to the media. I just can't remember. He goes to the media. It was This was so important to him that he wanted to make this point. Uriah Faber comes over the back of this and makes the same point. Here's what it is, guys. Emmett goes to the event, International Fight Week, Adesanya versus Cannoneer. He doesn't have good seats. The end. I mean, that's the story. Fighters get brought in. You're, you're comped. You're taken care of. Maybe someone will even guide you to your seat type thing. You find out right there, where am I sitting? That's the point that I'm talking about. But the, the boys all sit together. There's a fighter section. When you guys are watching at home on camera, you'll look over. There's some panel of the octagon and behind it, bunch of faces that you recognize. So, well, no, that's not where Emmett was. Emmett was somewhere else. It was much higher up. He was separated from the group. And as he deems it, I, these seats are so bad, I'm the number one contender. They're going to have a fight tonight between Volkanovski and Max. I take on the winner. And now I'm being disrespected. I'm being pushed up here. I'm wondering what that means. If this was not a mistake, if this was done on purpose and I'm pushed up here, is this a clue to me that I am not next in line? That I am not the number one contender and I'm not going to take on the winner of this match? Now, I got to stop you right there. I did not realize he was. I did not realize that Emmett was in the position that he is next in line. So when Emmett says as I sit back, I got to think about that. Right? I'm going to poke holes in this argument, see what the problems are. He's right, which is great news. Like, I, I really like the match. I like the style, like the X's and O's of Emmett versus Volkanovski. That's interesting to me. And by the way, I thought Volkanovski had nothing interesting left. I really did think that. Okay, we're in a little bit of a period of time. Let's take a deep breath on Volkanovski. Let's find the next contender, might have some fresh blood, your ear's always this wild card floating out there that could pop in at any point, you know, we might we might see somebody, but let's see what happens, this was where my temperament was, it's right in front of my face, it's Josh Emmett, so that's just one thought, I'm just, I'm just bringing that to you guys, because that was quite exciting, and then Josh even went, I'm going to go fight him, or maybe Uriah offered this in Australia, and they were really putting it out there, that whatever it takes, boom, this is our guy, we don't have any problem with Volkanovski, if there's any credit and respect, we got to show Volkanovski. He got no problem. Sooner the better you pick the opponent. Tough words. He means it. Very few guys do. So now all of a sudden, I'm, I'm swirling a little bit on this. Emmett versus Vol. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And here's why I'm going to do this full analysis. So I'm bringing this to you because Volkanovski's in another spot. Right, that's the Josh Emmett story. The seats didn't have as much to do with this story as Josh bringing to our attention that he is next in line. Of which he started to question because of his seats, but there's the tie-in for you. What's Volk going to do? So Volkanovsky, as much as I'm telling you, will have no problem. Josh Emmett, fill in the blank, don't even tell me till I get. We can count on Volk. We really can. But Volk is talking about doing this champ-champ business. Now, Volk's got about four days from right now to have that locked up. If Volk can't have that locked and wrapped up, stop talking about it, at least in the short term, you're not going to get it. The fire's hot right now. He got Dana to comment on it and only one time, and Dana said he can do whatever he wants to do. Now, I don't know how sincere we should take Dana at that. 
I think he was more speaking about, man, this guy can start writing his own ticket. I'll listen to him. I don't believe Dana was making any kind of a commitment of he'll let me know and I'm going to. He's got this one wish out there. I'll grant it wherever it goes. I, I don't think that's right. Anybody that interpreted it like that, I think interpreted it wrong. Guys might remember. A month ago, Glover Teixeira wanted to rematch Prohaska. And I was really pushing. I was really pushing so that this would get to George and Ed Soros and back to Glover. You got to do this now. This cannot be a thought for later. As great as you know this fight was, as close as you were to win it, all of these things that you think are going to be arguments for the jury a month from now when it comes up, two weeks from now, for when that next matchmaker's meeting it, no, those are distant memories. This has to be done now. You got to go to the people, you got to go to the media, you got to get the commitments, and it's got to be now when this is hot and fresh and everybody's drunk on the excitement of what a back and forth battle that was. Didn't get done. I'm only bringing you that example to reinsert it here. Volk's clock is ticking. I get that it's limited. I get that getting to go up and ha have a champ champ opportunity are rare opportunities. I do understand that, but I want to make sure that you understand the position that we're in at 155. A lot of times there'll be a match, guys, right? There'll be somebody with a wish and they would like to go up. But what they're now trying to insert their nose in is so much less than what is already planned that just from the business side of it alone, just from the temperament of you, the audience, and how you're going to react, the guy with the idea had no chance in the first place. But I want you to take a look at what's going on at 155. Because the time's now. If I was to tell you it's going to be Islam versus Oliveira, you're going to like that. But think of where you're at on that. A scale of 1 to 10. Think of where you're at on that. Whatever that number is, if I told you it's going to be Volk versus Oliveira, I think that you're definitely equal with Islam and maybe in ahead of it. And it's very relevant, right? Because when the politics of the business side starts to come in, I think he's in a good spot. And I have to remind you that there's no champion at 155. If there's anything that we did wrong, it's to choose that the right thing to do is to consider Oliveira the champion and move forward. That was a mistake. First off, it's not true. It's just It just simply is not reality. But it was also a mistake where we thought we were being good guys. And we're going to fix this. And, you know, maybe that rule should even be a little bit different. But we're going to come over the top of it. And we're going to do that by simply ignoring it. What if we hadn't done that? What if it was very clear? Hey, look, guys, I don't know what's going to happen there. Boy, what a strange circumstance. But the rules are pretty cool. We got no champion. So I guess we're going to go out. We're going to look for some guys, see where all of this goes. Imagine that that was our temperament instead. If it was, we would be in a situation today to have two guys, two guys who could make their argument that should be fighting for the belt. Now, Oliveira's is going to be very strong, but just imagine that it wasn't set in stone, because it is. Where we have it right now, it is 100% for sure, not even maybe Oliveira, who's he going to take on? Imagine that wasn't the case. Just imagine we could have a conversation about not only one guy, but two guys. You do all of a sudden start to see where Volk entering makes that whole thing very interesting, because I could play with Volk three, four different ways. I just did a Volk versus Oliveira, and I asked you to compare that to your temperament for Oliveira versus Islam. Fair and hard and pretty close. Favoring Volk, but pretty pretty competitive. 
But now I could start playing a different game. And I could say, yeah, but Volk's coming up and he's going to take on Islam. And all of a sudden you're standing back a little bigger. Whoa, that's a completely different match. And you're going to feel something different about it. And we can start juxtaposing these different things to see which cream rises to the top. It just changes the dialogue. Changes where we're at right now. What do you think about Volt going up and challenging Oliveira? Real simple question, but then you just have to ask yourself, compared to Volt going up and challenging Islam, if Volk's going to get this done, it's got to be now, right now. Things are hot, door appears to be open, Emmett's coming after him, Emmett gets that locked up, boom, changes the, the entire conversation. How bad does Volk want this? Does Volk really want to do it? He hasn't got Oliveira to speak about him yet. In fact, the opposite has happened. Oliveira came out today and said for and this is a quote guys forget about connor islam and he went from there making it very clear that he is accepted that he is going to take on islam he's made he made that very clear why sheer coincidence conversation come up we don't know about or did he realize volkanovsky is now a free agent and he didn't he didn't want to look in that direction it's a fair question by me like we'd all be surprised to find out if, if Charles was backing down from somebody. But in, in all fairness, you got to plan your moves. you got to do it strategic. The whole reason there was a resistance to Islam or there was a resistance to Darush is no, no commitment wanted to be made because we're hearing this talk about Connor. Right? You're always keeping your options open. But all of a sudden, when you start to see where those options are going, you do start to narrow them down. Is that what happened? Did Oliveira change his tune on Islam because Volk is a free agent? It's what Volk should have said before I just did. Now it's ruined. Volk should have seen that. He should have seized on it. He should have ran. Right? There's things that Volk should have and needs to do if he wanted to strengthen his position and his ability to go to 155 pounds. But if he's going to do that right now, no champion, vacated title, people are arguing resumes. He could step in front of the line of everybody if we're going to do it by resumes. He has a very good claim to go and do it. A very hard bureaucratic situation which is to even have the opportunity. That door is so wide open for Volk. But it is closing and it will be shut. It will be shut by this weekend. So let's see how Volk plays it. Lot up in the air, lot unlikely. Emmett versus Volk seems to make sense to me. Islam versus Charles seems to be the direction we've moved for a while. Why stop it? Can we stop it? That is up to the players. And right now, it's up to the strategic promotional marketing abilities of Volkanovsky. So another division that got the spotlight on Saturday night was the Bantamweights when Sean O'Malley took on Pedro Munoz. Unfortunately for you and me, the fight ended in a no contest. And on today's show, I want to revisit that fight. All right, a few days has gone by. How are you guys looking back and what are you looking forward to as it pertains to Sean O'Malley? I read a headline. The headline says, tonight, Sean O'Malley takes a step backwards. I click on it. I read this article. I'm going to pick this thing apart. I don't want it to be true. That's my feeling when I go into this. I don't want this to be true. I read that three days ago, and I've thought about it periodically for three days. I'm not positive it's inaccurate. I'm not. 
this is interesting, guys. So, so Sean versus Pedro ends. And history says you would rematch them. Now, when the one completed round, those official scorecards get turned in. The media gets a hold of it and releases it. And Munoz won that round. So you now have a guy who had to stop a contest, no fault of his own, who has an injury. He ended up having a scratch on his cornea. Oh, by the way, who was winning? I mean, history says you rematch him. Whatever's next for Sean is going to be big and it's going to be meaningful. That's not a guarantee for Pedro. But now that you look at the pieces and the guy was hurt, oh, by the way, he was winning anyway, you you feel very compelled that whatever happens next for Sean has got to be equal for Pedro. We can't just make that happen. We can't just make that happen. All you can do is prove that you would like that to happen, that that would be a correct solution, if possible. So you rematch them. That is definitely on the table. But do you guys want to see that? Was that match interesting enough? Is that is that match and what you saw and possibly even the conclusion of it make it more interesting now? Because a lot of times that's precisely what happens, which is why these rematches historically do get made. Is that the case? Because I could see a very reasonable solution where Sean just goes, moves on, does something. Now, same with Pedro. Heal up, get better, let's see what happens. But I can't guarantee you guys it's going to be equal for Pedro. I cannot guarantee you that Pedro is going to be on a main card. It's going to be on a main card of a featured pay-per-view. I can't, I can't do those things. So where do you lean? Straight up question. What would you do? Rematch them? Let's just forget this. Let's take everything out of the world. Let, let's get this done and get it right and see what happens. Maybe. It's definitely something to consider. But Sean O'Malley is in the back doing media. Henry Cejudo is off camera, but in the back. He interrupts Sean's piece. Henry literally yells at Sean. Now, these guys are tied in not only within the division, not only with interest in the fans, but these guys are both from Arizona. That means something. What you want to do with it or where exactly the push and pull is there, it's a fine piece because when Henry interrupts Sean, Sean's response was so organic and real. Henry calls a lot of guys out. Henry does stuff just just to get the attention. Sure he does. So when Henry calls out Sean, Sean literally says to me, really? But but that's the spot that you'd have to be. Like, hey, Henry, before I can respond to you, of which happens to be recorded, are, are, we, are we really agreeing? You're asking me to fight you. If I accept and say yes, can I go through life knowing I've got to prepare because I'm going to be facing you? Sean said all of those things by simply saying, Really? And I don't know that he got an answer. I don't know that Henry said anything less in that moment of, yeah, maybe, or maybe I'm going to move on to somebody else as soon as I see them on camera holding a microphone. Right? It's one of those interesting spots. What is going to happen? How serious should I take this? And O'Malley really disagreed with and possibly had the most vigor in his voice when he found out at his post-fight press conference in the scrum that he had lost the first round. He completely disputed that. The person who said it and said, well, we've actually seen the judges' scorecards and you lost the first round. Sean thought they had it wrong. Sean's wondering what their, hey, recheck that. There's no way that's impossible. In fact, Sean thought he was on his way to winning the second round of which he could just cruise through the third. I do not think that Sean was, was reworking history. 
I think that's really what he thought. Would that add a motivation? Would that change the likelihood and the prospects of redoing it? My interpretation was Sean lost the first round. My other interpretation was on purpose. Somewhere through that round, Sean decided I need to use this to gather clues. Somewhere in that round, Pedro was either faster or Pedro kept a little more distance. Pedro did a few spinning things. If Pedro was doing something that Sean had not successfully identified on film and prepared for, and he was using that round to learn what these things were, that was my interpretation. But Sean shut that down. That's not what that was. Everything was going just fine. I was winning that fight. Those judges saw it wrong. So I'm merely adding for you because when Pedro came out and told us about the corny, I mean, that's the first thing Pedro's thinking about. He's thinking about his health. He's not thinking about what's next, his future, where to spend this. But also, inadvertently, he hasn't offered us anything in terms of getting back in there with Sean. And I had a guy on Twitter, by the way, really bothered me. When I do a piece and then I get misquoted, I mean, you could see where that that would be annoying. But when somebody misquotes you, which changes the entire tone. The guy was saying that I was being disrespectful to Pedro, that I said he was faking. That he could have gone on and was looking for a way out. No, no such thing was said by me. Pedro was poked in the eye to no fault of his own, which is what I said. I never thought that fight would be stopped while they were in the interim of checking on him. Other than Pedro was blinking in a way. He was making facial movements in a way that was telling a story. He was attempting to tell a story through that. I was right in that assessment. He was. The story that he was attempting to tell to make sure that we all saw, my eye hurts, which is precisely what happened. There was no disrespect on that. That's accurate. Does he want to get that match back? Does he want to talk about the fact that he was winning? Does he want to share that he thought he was winning the second round? Where is this going to go? Is there going to be any fire here? Because until we have some forward motion, the statement that Sean O'Malley has taken a step back, I don't want that to be true. But if you don't go forward, you went back. I understand that concept. So what is the bright side from here? Where do these guys go from here? O'Malley specifically. To close out today's program, I mentioned earlier that Izzy and Piera is one of the biggest fights you can make right now. Now, there's another one out there, Stipe Miocic versus John Jones, that I think needs to get booked right now. The only question is, what's the holdup? Well, let's hear it for the schmo, huh? Long weekend, holiday weekend, everybody took it off, except the schmo. The schmo bought us some content. Schmo was working. And he put out an interview with Chris Weidman. Now, I, on a personal level, am very interested in Chris Weidman's career the whole way through. When he got into the sport, but even at this part in his career, he's come back from an injury, so I stop and I'm enjoying this, right? Chris Weidman talked about Stipe. Now, Stipe is the mystery man of MMA. It is so difficult to get any news on Stipe. Normally, uh, somebody will leak it. 
Guy goes out on the town. Guy does something. Somebody sees him. Somebody tweets. Somebody gets, Steve Bay's with the boys at the fire department. They're not impressed with him in the first place. Hey, grab a broom and get your job done, kid. I mean, it's one of these situations where they're not going to be leaking things. They don't even think it's a big deal themselves. Let alone, what, right, I mean, it's, it's one of these spots. You can't get any information on Stipe. He doesn't go out and do interviews. He doesn't go out and talk to people. He doesn't call people out. He doesn't embrace that side of it. So Weidman shared some uh, news with Stipe. Now, I broke to you guys that allegedly Stipe had a goal and got close to the goal of putting on 20 pounds of muscle. Really interesting to me. When Stipe left the sport, and guys, this has been seven months. Closer to eight. That's a long time. To have a guy out who does not have an illness or an injury. Eight months. You start asking some questions. What Did he have an illness? Did he have an injury? I mean, it's Stipe. Who'd tell us if he did? The hell would we know? Well, Weidman shed a little bit of light on this, which is Stipe has met that goal. He's at 250 pounds. And don't forget where Stipe left off. He left off weighing 233 pounds, taking on a much bigger man in Francis Ngannou. It was just a man. It was just a size issue. We can't even get to the skills of Stipe versus Francis. We can't even get to the punching and the wrestling. We can't get that far. It's a size issue. Who else have you ever seen in the UFC? Ever. No matter how great they were or you thought they were. Who have you ever seen that could give up 40 pounds and win? So it's a tough spot. Stipe's going to fix it. He's got the true trilogy set, uh, coming up. They've split it one apiece. He's going to go fight Francis again. And he's going to change something before he gets there. I loved it. I love that whole story. I think you guys enjoyed it. But all of a sudden, Francis is not the piece on the board that Stipe's staring across from. He appears to be staring across from John Jones. John Jones did an interview over the weekend. John Jones said, I'm ready. I feel good. I'm ready. I haven't heard from the UFC. Now, this is very telling. I appreciated John bringing this to us. John has done a very fair job of every step of the way letting us in on it. Whether that got him a good reaction or a bad, he has been very good at making sure that we're involved. Can we give him that? And John wasn't ready. John wasn't willing for a period of time was not coming back, may never come back for a period of time. This was his mindset. Things are different now. He is ready to go. Why is he not being booked? This could be a very simple answer that's right in front of us. But when we don't have it, we're left to speculate in every possible direction, which includes the conspiracy theories. Is there something within the boys in the office on the second floor of the UFC who subliminally, subliminally, are telling John, things are fine without you. We told you when you threatened us. We told you when you had meaning. You had the the championship, real meaning to the sport. We told you. We've succeeded before you were here. We've succeeded with you here. And we're telling you now, before you do this great bluff and you play this card, we will succeed without you here. Is there a subliminal message being delivered? We told you this. Or do they just not have the opponent? Do they just not have the venue booked? Do they just not have the date? 
get that calendar out, you start lining matches up, you owe guys certain things, you start filling in those pieces, and all of a sudden, you don't have a date left. That's a scheduled pay-per-view, which is where that would need to go. All fair questions, a lot of moving parts. But for John to tell us that he is, re- he is, he is waiting to be told, for Weidman to share with us how ready and prepared and great Stipe is looking and training, at least answers the question that we've all asked ourselves, is he sick, is he hurt, is he dealing with something? Okay, parent, now, right now, appears to be no. And what are you going to do with them? If you don't put them together, right? This is why we've all been committed to this. This is why we all have signed off that, yeah, our next time we're seeing it's figure out if it's for the interim championship, it's the undisputed championship, but it's going to be Stipe versus John. We all swallowed that right up because there's no reasonable other opponent. The John Jones move to heavyweight, the part of the move where he did entice the other side, it wasn't all selfish and it was all him. He really did have something to offer was when it was the perspective of him versus Francis. As soon as that changed, you are having a different conversation, in all fairness. Now, Stipe, things would be very different for Stipe. Right now, yeah, it's John. I get it. But guys, that might not be true in three months. Surreal Gone is going to take on Ty Tuivasa. Whoever wins that fight, based on how that fight goes would all of a sudden be a very interesting and attractive potential opponent for Stipe. That's not true today. That's going to be true in a very short period of time. Tall Aspinall and Curtis Blades, whoever wins that fight with a reasonable expectation of how that fight's going to go, it's going to be a very interesting and attractive opponent potentially for Stipe. That isn't true today. So all I'm sharing with you We go ahead and get six, eight, ten weeks behind us. We're having a different conversation about who most we want to see them fight. Right now, it's them. It's them against each other. Guys, that window is shortening. And if people aren't jumping and hot and looking to book it now, as things cool on the importance of that and things start to spread in other directions, there is a real potential that that gets held up. Now, Michael Bisping a week ago told us you should hold it up. Don't even do it. Wait till Francis is back, figure out who to put him with. I don't know that strategically that's the plan, but I can start to see and envision where that does become a reality. Well, all of a sudden, both guys are still available. Dealer's choice at this point. Stipe would have other things to do. I just offered a couple suggestions for you. John versus Francis was the plan in the first place. I don't know where things are going to go. Neither do you, though. And now John Jones is revealing for us. Neither is he. All right, guys. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening and continuing to leave reviews for the show on Apple Podcasts. I recently got this one from G, who says, My number one MMA source. Well, thank you, G. I appreciate it. And thanks again to all of you. We will be back on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sutton, and you are welcome.